Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. again, everyone, and uh, welcome to our weekly show, The Wonderful World of Wine. I am your host, Kim Simone, along with my co-host and partner in wine crime, as he likes to say, Mark Lindsay. How are you today, Mark? Hi, Kim. How are you? And hello to everybody listening again this week. We really appreciate it. We have a number of a more, I think, educational topics to talk about today, not so much uh, current events in the wine world, but more... You know, those things that are revolving around wine and what we what makes wine interesting for us and not only a tasty beverage, but something interesting to think about and talk about and, uh, you know, give us a little bit of uh, extra enjoyment in to our lives. So this first article is kind of near and dear to my heart because it has to do with wine history and the history of how the flavor of wine has changed over time. And I always love learning about these kinds of things and talking about these things with people because really, you know, people don't generally have any idea of how wine as it's experienced now is so very different from how it used to be in many, many parts of the world and in many different time periods. I'm glad you mentioned history being such a big part of the of the wine world there, Kim, because when we took a lot of wine education programs, one of the things they do is they give you that background. You know, what's the history behind this region? What's what's the history behind behind the styles of this region? And, and it really is important for you to learn that way and see how it all began. And a lot of people don't know today why these styles or how styles have changed so much over the years. Right. And I think that this is one of those fun things about wine that it can be appreciated on so many levels. You know, you don't have to know this stuff in order to enjoy the the wine that's in your glass. But if, you know, you are the kind of person who likes to dig a little deeper and know a little bit more background, it's a topic and it's a field that has so much depth to it that you can go, you know, down all these different rabbit holes about wine and about how it's made. And the history is definitely one of those, the science of it. This is one of the things that academically I really like about wine in it. You know, it can give us a, a lot to talk about. And like you said, you know, the more that you know, it really informs why we have what we have today. So it's not like all the wine styles that we enjoy currently were just born out of nothing. They have background and there are reasons why certain things are made where they're made and why certain styles are made where they're made and honestly why people enjoy different types of wine with different types of food so it's very both broad and and deep as far as the topic goes so what bit of this article intrigued you the most mark or was something that you hadn't known known before i think a lot yeah, a lot of the history of wine, I think when people read about it, it you'll think, geez, this wasn't even really wine. I mean, mm-hmm. in history, water was horrible, right? It was, you drank it, you got ill. So they had to do things to it to make it palatable, right? Safe for, for, to drink. And then they started making wine. They had really no idea how to do it properly. 
So they had to add things to it. And like you said, Kim, based on where you were in the world, those ingredients you added to the wine or what they called wine was based on what they had locally or, or, or their terroir or their location in the world. So it's very interesting. I love the whole idea of wine in the past. And and at this point, we're talking kind of the, the, the far distant past, you know, ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, ancient Chinese. And wine wasn't this kind of pure thing that we think about these days where it's you know, just fermented grape juice. And then that's all, you know, it was more of like a cocktail. Um, <laughs> this article called it, quote unquote, mixed fermented beverages. Or something. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, which is really apropos because it wasn't just fermented grape juice. It was that and often that was the base. But then there were other things added like fruit or different sweeteners. Various cultures would water down their wines, most especially the Greeks and the Romans, and they would add salt water, which gave it a different flavor. And then also new preservation techniques or I guess old preservation techniques. So, so like resins and certain types of barrels and, um, you know, things from different kinds of woods that would act as preservatives that, right, you know, now we use um, sulfur dioxide. But in the past, there were other things that were used to try to keep oxidation at bay and to try to keep wines, you know, a little fresher and, and tasting a little bit better. Yeah, these were very primitive days of winemaking. They didn't have the, the technology or the vessels or the cleaning techniques of today's uh, winemakers. So they had to adapt and they found these things to add to it to make it last. And I mean, the Greeks were very well known for, for adding the uh, pine sap or the pine to the wines. And today mm -hmm. it's still a traditional wine of the Greek people. But spices, so If anyone's ever herbs, had Retsina, this Retsina, is what we're talking yeah. about. See, that stuff's yep. like four bucks a jug and, and nobody wants it. But it, it's very unique. <laughs> it, it actually does smell it's like It's pretty pine. interesting. Yeah, it's, that's it a word really for it. If you like pine trees, you know, Red Cena's right up your alley. But it is definitely um, much more unusual than we are generally used to drinking for the wines that, uh, that we currently have. Wines One of the big history. things. No, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. I was going to say one of the, the big differences between kind of these ancient wines or even medieval wines and wines that we currently have today is this focus on is aging a good thing or is aging a bad thing? Because often these historic wines had to be consumed young because they would spoil so quickly. So, you know, now we think of older vintages as being the fine wines. And so, oh, you want your wines to age a little bit. But that's only come about because we have different bottling now and we have different methods of, of preserving our wines. So back in the old days, oxidation, wines going bad and wines getting too old to drink too fast was a more common problem than drinking your wine too young. So I think this is one of the major flavor differences that uh, people don't really know about when it comes to wines from, uh, from past days, that often when people were drinking wine, they had already sort of started to spoil a little bit. And you're, you know, talking red wines that have started to turn brown and white wines that have also started to turn brown. So they would have very, very different flavors than, than we're used to today. You know, no, no bright, fresh Sauvignon Blancs were on the table. I was curious about that aging in history, Kim, too, because when you look back, the, the Romans, the Greeks, they were drinking and consuming wine every day. It was their daily beverage, right? So I don't think they were ever thinking about how can we put this away to, 
to drink it in three years, right? I mean, I, I'm curious when in history you think that putting it, you know, making wine to think, well, we got to put this away for a few years ever started. You know, I, I, I think that the 1900s, I mean, it was a long time after this time period that people started thinking about aging it. Well, the Romans did understand the concept of vintage and that certain vintages and certain vintage years were better than others. So I actually think that they did have a little bit of a tradition of putting aside some of the better years to age a little bit. And then those things would gain in value as they got a little older and as more of them were consumed and there was less of it available. And if it had a particular cachet, then those would increase in value because, you know, people still wanted them. It seemed to me like they just, wherever they conquered, they figured out how to make the wine and they did it there and not as much as, yeah. because they didn't have the oak barrel, the transportation features back then, you know, so they had to find places that had vine and improve it and make it. And it's, it's just another thing in history. But that was very typically Roman anyway. Like they did the ex that exact same thing with, with everything, wherever right, they everywhere. Went. But, yeah. you know, they had that know-how with winemaking. So they were able to, I mean, and luckily a lot of the places that they invaded and took over were areas that were very amenable to vine growing. So, I mean, even up as far north as Germany and, you know, some places in Britain that can grow grapes. I mean, it might not, they might not make the best wine, but yeah, you, everywhere you see the Romans, you see wine. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, there's been a lot of wine history books I, I've been seeing too. People, I think maybe there's more and more interest in people learning this history. You know, I was just recently reading a thing about there's like two or three now president books out there. What did the past presidents drink? And it's pretty interesting because over the hmm. centuries, as the presidents moved on, the, the wine styles changed by, you know, when a different president came in. So it was mm -hmm. interesting to see what they were drinking. So there's a lot of books out there on the history. Well, like, you know, like anything else, there's this is one facet of life that we enjoy here and now and today and that it does have a history. And by learning that history, it can inform you not only about the wine part of it, but it can give you, I think, a broader understanding of a time period as well. So I kind of like that it goes both ways, that you can learn more about history by studying something very specific like wine or like food or anything that you're into. You know, if you're into medieval weapons or pottery or I don't know, yeah. plants or, you know, bees. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that I think people can get their interests uh, in certain areas uh, taken care of. And, you know, history is one of mine and wine is one of mine. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a natural fit. And there's a lot of winemakers lately, Kim, that have this same passion. And, and in, especially in Italy, you're seeing where they're bringing up and uh, researching these old techniques and winemaking and the actual yeah. uh, original indigenous grapes. And they're going back to that mm -hmm. winemaking where they're using clay and, and bury them in the ground, just like they used to preserve way back to bring these traditions back. I know Italy's big on it. Have you seen other countries doing that? as far as trying to bring back these old winemaking traditions? I, I don't think it's very popular here in the United States. You don't you don't really hear anyone doing it. Well, certainly quite a few places in, in Eastern Europe. You know, Turkey is really big on this. Georgia is as well. I think there's a fair bit in Hungary as well. They're, they're native grape varieties and some of these less technical ways of making wine, a little more of a kind of a natural wine mindset. But I think you're right that the Italians 
and this isn't even I think necessarily a new thing for the Italians. You know, we we always hear these stories of, you know, oh, this particular grape variety was about to go extinct, but this one grower, this one vineyard decided to bring this particular one back and now 12 people make this grape, you know, that that kind of a thing. So, I mean, Italy is so alive with all of these native grape varieties that, you know, are related to each other or not related to each other. And there's such diversity and such interesting stuff being grown in Italy and understood that it does seem to be the place to think about when you're talking about these grape varieties and these techniques that maybe were a little bit lost and now are um, being explored and brought back again and producing some really interesting stuff. I'm glad you mentioned that natural wine movement. I mean, we talked to our listeners a few times in the past about the term and kind of the movement, but it may have something, this whole natural winemaking process may have something to do with people looking back at the history, correct? I mean, they don't want to use the Mm -hmm. modern, you know, cleaning methods or techniques, but they haven't gone that level where they're adding weird things to it like they did historically. (laughs) So I'm happy about that. But I do think it, you know, it can be a bit, it's maybe a bit of a backlash against modern technology and people wanting to get back to a little more of a natural approach to making wine and drinking wine and enjoying it and, you know, sort of as a offshoot of uh, organic and biodynamic food production, you have wine production as well. Yeah. And that's going to be a great segue into talking about wine traditions, which was another article we researched for this. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please visit her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please visit franklinliquors.com. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And we're also on Twitter at Wine Education. Now we want to talk about the tradition of winemaking, which we started a little bit talking about natural wine and the history of how the flavors of wine have changed. And we found another article that was talking about wine traditions and what do we think they are in the wine world. And, and that, I think, has a lot to do with history. Correct, Kim? Would you, would you agree? I would agree. Absolutely. And around here, tradition is to make homemade wine. So, I mean, that's considered a wine tradition. But do you feel, Kim, that in the wine world today, people are making more traditional style wines or is it just market style wines? Like what is what do the people want? type of wines. Yeah, I, I think that that is that this natural wine movement and this um, trying to pay a little bit more attention to traditional winemaking techniques and traditional styles, I think is just a teeny tiny little slice of the market. It's an interesting slice. And I think it's something worth talking about because these wines are out there for people to experience. But it's certainly not the majority of what is being purchased and consumed by your everyday wine drinker in this country. I thought this article had a wonderful line. It said, we talk about traditions, we don't drink them. And I think that that is really true because we often don't think about just how different what we drink now 
was from, you know, even what you would be drinking 200 years ago. Yeah. And I think people, when you hear a wine tradition, you probably have different meanings of it, correct? I mean, mm-hmm. when you say, what's your wine tradition? I say, you know, I have this for this holiday or I like having this on this special occasion. I'm not really linking it to a history thing as much as, yeah. you know, a trend, a traditional trend. And I think for people who come from traditional wine drinking countries, so not the US, but France, Spain, Italy, um, when they talk about wine and their wine traditions, because wine is just or has been an everyday part of your meal and your, um, your lifestyle, it's almost like it fades into the background because it becomes, I think, a little, <laughs> this is going to come out wrong. It becomes a little less special because it is ordinary. And that I think is like the flip side of this idea that a wine, you know, wine traditions are are special when we talk about like special holiday wines or or what have you. If it is a part of your tradition, that makes it like so normal that sometimes you don't even think about it, kind of like doing the dishes, you know, we have to do it all the time. So we don't consider it part of our meal tradition, but it certainly is there. So I think that that's a different way to look at wine and wine tradition. Do you think, Kim, that wine traditions historically is an old world thing, European? I mean, do the new world countries have real tradition? Because we don't have the history of the old world countries. So can we even say we have any sort of tradition in the new world? I think it depends who you're talking about. I mean, the old world countries, Italy, Spain, that's what they live on. I mean, the laws are made on tradition, based on tradition. Right. And I think when you're talking about people like ourselves, who our family backgrounds, however many generations ago, came over from Europe, we or some of us have continued to carry some of those traditions along. But other people, maybe they didn't because they their ancestors weren't from places that had that kind of a beverage culture. And I think it depends on who you're talking about and where they are. So if you're talking more about, say, native folks in Mexico, they certainly had certain beverage traditions, but whether they were able to keep them up or whether they were lost, you know, I think looking at it from a solely European perspective can kind of skew us because that's what we see and what we study, but it's not the same for everyone. So I don't know, you know, it's different looking at what group of people are you looking at and what group of people you're talking about. If you're talking about folks who were from Italy and moved to California and so therefore could keep up their grape growing wine making culture, then I would say yes. But if you are talking about you know, someone whose family immigrated from Ireland, you know, not so much of a wine drinking culture there. No, and that's a great point because that's what makes the wine world so interesting. And we were talking earlier about changing flavors over the year, styles of the wine. It's really based on your tradition, right? I mean, if you grew up in Italy and you're used to a certain grape or a certain style, and then you come to America, you're kind of bringing that tradition with you. So that's how these things keep going. 
and then it has to be adapted. And you see this with right. food all the time that, you know, when when folks come from one part of the world and move to another part of the world, they really want to recreate their their food and their cuisine and the dishes that they are familiar with. But sometimes you can't get those ingredients. Uh, I was reading, I forget it was a book or an article about uh, folks from, I believe it was Korea who had immigrated to California. Oh, no, it was Vietnam. And they couldn't get a lot of the ingredients that they wanted to to make, you know, just a lot of their everyday food that they would be eating as part of what is normally part of their diet. So they had to adapt and they had to make changes and see if there were different places that they could buy or grow or get different ingredients. And you see this with wine as well. So when immigrants moved to wine growing areas and couldn't grow or couldn't find the rootstock or the the grape stock for those wines that they wanted to make from those grape varieties that they wanted to, they adapted and they did it with different grape varieties. So it seems um, you know, that there is this connection between tradition and food and varieties, but also this adaptation as well. Do you think that people's wine traditions leads to why in certain regions, certain styles and types of wines are, are sold more. I'm thinking as far as a, a wine consumer, I have a, a theory, I guess, that regionally- Do you mean here? Do you mean here in the, in the it, U.S.? It, you can, yeah, in the U.S., in our town or in our state, do you think there's maybe more Italian wine, like, you know, Franklin's an Italian town and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know Norfolk, but do you think because of that and traditionally Italian tradition, they, there's more Italian wine on retail shelves? Do you think it drives that market for a consumer? Yes, I definitely think that demographics drive what shows up in retail stores. I mean, we, we hear this all the time about like New Bedford and Fall River, places that have very high populations that are made up of folks from Portuguese speaking countries, from, from Portugal generally, and that they have, you know, a lot of wine imported from Portugal because they want to taste a home and, and they want what's familiar and, and what they what they enjoy drinking. And I think that that was very much the case for Italian wine as well. And probably more so in the past, and, you know, we've, I think, definitely carried that tradition on. You know, if certain families, if your regular everyday bottle of wine is a bottle of Chianti, you're, you're going to continue that. So, yes, I absolutely do feel like those demographics do drive specific ideas of what are, what is available locally. I'm glad you agree on that. Now, here's my follow up to that. Okay. Kim, is <laughs> we always talk about the, the mass marketed wines. Do you think they look at that regionally at in small areas or they just look at, you know, in the Northeast, this style should be popular because uh, these people hmm. are in that region? Because I, I don't I, I don't understand the big, you know, the 90 percent big brands. I don't think they care about that you know, the traditions in the region to, to market wines to that. They just do their thing I wouldn't as a think national for the, brand. I don't know. I can I, imagine that areas of the country that have a larger population of people from countries that traditionally were drinkers of wine would be more of a focus than, say, different groups that maybe don't have a tradition of drinking of drinking wine. Like you're not going to be focusing on upping how much how many wine stores you have in areas that maybe have um, predominantly Muslim populations, let's say. But yeah. 
in places like Massachusetts, where we have a lot of Italians and Irish and Portuguese, people that had backgrounds that had wine as part of your normal everyday drinking activity, then yes. But I don't know if it was necessarily broken down specifically into, oh, well, the Boston area is this, this, and this. So therefore, we will try to sell them this. I I think it's more overall consumption habits. And yes, that demographics would play a part in that. But I don't know that that a marketing group would, you know, look at it at that much of a micro level. What about when you were in wine sales, Kim? Did they ever release a product or bring in a product and say, Kim, this is who we're going after? This is the segment of the population we're going after. And if they I, f- did, I feel like we saw it a lot or- with marketing towards more age and gender and not necessarily ethnic background. Is that true? I guess in, you could say. Like they're def- is, is that true in the restaurant industry as well? That I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, I, all national things I see, it's ge- generational, right? I mean, it's we're going to market yeah, this to this generation. Age. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's because with- marketing efforts are different to different age groups. So people in their 20s and 30s are going to respond to a different manner of advertising than folks in their 50s or their 60s. So I think that d- definitely does play a part of it. Maybe more so than, oh, hey, were you were your great grandparents from Italy? Yeah. I, I coming back, you know, recap and everything, Kim, uh, the reason I like that you mentioned, like, you know, in Fall River area, it's there's a lot of Portuguese population. So if you walk into a retail establishment or a restaurant down there, the chances are you're going to find a good amount of Portuguese wines on the menu or on the store shelves. Mm-hmm. But if you walk around up here, chances you find a lot of Portuguese selections, it's going to be very low. So a lot of what's happening in retail is based on the individual locations of what the customers are looking for. That's kind of the point I I wanted to make is that don't be discouraged or think a store or retail or restaurant is bad because they don't have what you want. They might not have a big Portuguese selection because it's not popular within that region. Right. Because they're responding to what the local needs are and the local wants are. Right. So what about as far as trends with traditions, Kim? Do you see any trends happening or based on, on traditions? I mean, we talked briefly, you know, Italy's kind of bringing back some old school stuff. Do you, do you see anything in the United States with tradition trends happening? I mean, I just I- see, uh, you know, a little more interest in maybe wines from places that have made good wine in the past and then maybe went away for a little while and then are now coming back. So we definitely are seeing some of these things from Eastern Europe. You know, 20, 30 years ago, nobody had really any good wines from Spain and now they're all over the place. That kind of thing. And I think as newer wine regions emerge, we will definitely see that some of those areas are getting a lot of interest as well. So, I mean, I, for one, am very interested to see what's going to come out of China in the next couple of decades. So like that and other places in in South America, um, I'm hoping that we see more things from like Uruguay um, and, and other countries that make good wine and that we don't see too much of here. So, you know, as people move around and as different things go on in the world, we see a little more change always, you know, change is the the constant. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see new wines and new wine styles from, from different places in the world. 
Thank you for joining us today for the wonderful world of wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we welcome your questions and comments. We might even answer your question on the air. You can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we will see you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.